we are going to be in uh, the Gospels this morning. We're going to be looking at a story in the life of Jesus. And uh, one of the things that's really interesting is you never noticed in politics when somebody walks into the room, uh, the room stands in honor. And so uh, we are hearing uh, the scriptures read right now. And I just want to stand as I read this over to you, uh, because this is the word of the Lord and we want to receive it this morning. So if you're comfortable, you can put out your hands to receive this. This comes from Matthew 14 verses 22 through uh, 33, and the verses will be on the screen. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, and later that night he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus said, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he says, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, if you've, uh, if you've spent any time with me in the last year and a half, you know that I love being a dad. Uh, and uh, I, rem- I remember uh, before, I, uh, before I had a kid and like, like parents would sh- like show pictures of their kids, I was like, oh, geez. Like, you know, like I just like was not interested. And then when I, uh, when I had our daughter Kinsley, like everything changed. And it's just like, I love her so much that I literally can't help but talk about her. And like, you know this, when, uh, when there is something in your life that has caught your heart, it doesn't matter if the person's interested or not, you will talk about that thing or that person because it's captured you. Is that not true? Uh, so uh, this weekend, uh, my parents have been kind of sending pictures up of our daughter. So here we go. Another sermon where I'm going to show you a picture of my daughter, Kinsley. Okay, okay so this is my uh, beautiful wife, Crystal, in the back. Love you, Crystal. Uh, okay, so this is, uh, this is like a couple weeks ago. We went to a pumpkin patch, and uh, it's crazy now. When I see these like, pictures of my daughter, I'm like, she is no longer a baby anymore. She's a little toddler. And it, 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 it's so sweet, but it's also so sad at the same time. So she's got her overalls on, uh, which is one step up from what I always dress her in, which is pretty much just a diaper. Anyway, so we had a ton of fun there. Uh, this next picture, so my parents uh, sent, us, sent us. So this is literally at my parents' house. Like I didn't pick this because it was the best picture, but my parents sent this up to me. And so I remember like, I'm seeing these pictures this weekend and literally it wants me, it makes me want to say amen and go home right now and finish the sermon. Cause I'm so excited to see her, uh, this next picture. So apparently my daughter doesn't have hair, but she grew a haircut this weekend and she has a comb over going on right now. So <laughs> she's like, she's joyful. She's, uh, she's excited. Uh, and she's like an absolute joy in Crystal and I's marriage. It's a ton of fun, but here's one thing that I've learned about parenting that there is, uh, there is nothing in my life to this point, and there is no human being 
that has made me have to sacrifice myself and cost me more than that human right there. Like, I'm serious. Like, I have, I have never had to sacrifice more in my life for that human right there. I mean, when you have a, it's funny, when you have a parent, like, everybody tells you, like, oh, good luck. You're like, thanks for making me excited about being a parent. Everybody's just telling me how hard it is. But it's true. I, I've literally, like, I've, we, Crystal and I have lost so much money because of her. <laughs> like, I have literally watched my bank account deplete because of her right there. Uh, so whether it's hospital, like, the actual, like, giving birth process. Actually, you didn't give birth. It was a C-section. So there we go. Anyways, we're not going to go there. So we've lost... Uh, Next point, next point, next point, next point. Anyways, we've lost a lot of money. Here's the thing. If you guys know me, you know that I love, I love my sleep. Uh, And I remember, like, I have, I literally have never slept the same in my entire life. I I feel like as a parent, I'm constantly exhausted. I'm trying to catch up on sleep. I remember some of those early stages, like when she would cry, like, again for the however many teeth time. I remember, like, waking up, like, this cannot be possible that she's crying right now. You get up, you're trying to, like, it's it's dangerous how, like, I'm holding her in the middle of the right middle of the night right now because like I'm literally gonna fall asleep with her in my arms it's so hard I've lost so much me time like I love to like sit on my couch read a book like that's like my nerdy side or like go to the gym and play sports like I haven't played I love playing basketball I haven't played basketball in a year and a half uh, because of her uh, partly uh, I've lost a lot of time with my friends like I used to have like rhythms of being able to go out and hang out with my friends I've, I've lost that um, I just don't get to do hobbies as much. Chris and I don't get as much time with each other. Um, I've literally lost, like, my health has, like, depleted. I remember there was probably, like, I haven't been sick for four months until this morning, which is great. But before that, I was, like, sick every other week for six months straight. And partly it was, like, she would get a runny nose. I'm like, oh, geez, here we go. It's coming again. And here's the point. There is so much sacrifice and cost from Crystal and I saying yes to being a parent but I just want to tell you something. I don't even think about the sacrifice and cost because, because all of the sacrifice and cost gets swallowed up in the love of getting to know her. Like, it's funny. I remember yesterday I was like trying to like list out how much it, it, it cost me to be a parent. And I couldn't really think about it because I just love being her dad. And I love knowing her. Um, I would say, I would say yes. Like, and here's the thing before you're a parent, you don't really know like what you're getting into. And I would do it again because I love getting to know my daughter. Here's why I share this this morning. All of us at some point throughout the weekend, you have heard Jesus speak to you very specifically about a next step of obedience that he is asking you to take in the storm. He is, all of you at this point, the reason I know this is because last night I'm praying with tons of you, and you're coming up to me, you're like, I really feel like God is calling me to this, but I feel scared because of this. I know, I believe the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, and here's here's what I know. Following Jesus and saying yes in obedience to him will cost you, and it will require deep sacrifice but love can swallow up that cost in relationship. And here's, here's, here's one thing I do know too. A lot of us, uh, the reason we don't obey and the reason we don't take that next step is because it will cost us. 
Maybe it's a relationship that you know that God is asking you to step out of and the, the cost of what that will happen and just like that is deeply troubling to you. Uh, maybe there's like a, there's a step of like God is asking you to uh, maybe develop a, a deeper prayer life with him and there's like a cost of, of, of time and sleep. Uh, all of you have a, a cost and a sacrifice in your mind right now that you know if I obey Jesus, this is gonna cost me. And when I, uh, when I was prepping for this sermon, uh, here's, here's what I want to say to you. I want you to take that next step, and I want you to know that Jesus is with you in that next step. So we're going to look at this story, and listen, we're going to read through this story very devotionally. I'm not going to make a lot of points that are very profound, but I pray that there's something in this that would spur you on in obedience to Jesus. So anyway, so this is Matthew 14. Uh, this uh, account of Jesus walking on water appears uh, in Matthew and Mark and John. So three of the gospel writers uh, uh, take account of this moment where Jesus walks on water and where Peter walks on water as well. But what's interesting in every single gospel account where this story uh, is located is that the story before or the scene before is Jesus feeding the 5,000. So Jesus, I won't, go, I won't go into that story, but there's this huge crowd. They're learning from Jesus. They don't know how, they don't have enough food. Uh, and Jesus miraculously like multiplies food and feeds 5,000 people like completely. It was an absolute profound miracle. It, we're used to it because we've read that story so many times, but I'm telling you, it was a profound profound moment. And I think there's something to be said about Jesus walking on water and the disciples going into a storm following that story. Here's what's interesting. Did you know that after an incredible miracle, typically there's an incredible storm? After an incredible miracle, there's typically an incredible storm. And here's the point that I want to share with you this morning before we even jump into the details of this passage, is that storms in your life often follow miraculous mountaintop moments like this weekend. Um, last night, I was, uh, I was praying with many of you, and uh, uh, so many of you, I, I remember there was this uh, one person that came up to me, uh, and they were, they were talking about all the ways that, that God was uh, speaking to them, and the ways that God has like, shown up for them, and I remember having this moment last night that I'm like, moments like last night, they're powerful experiences of God's presence, uh, but, but, but they're not just meant to be exper- like experiences, but they're, they're meant to prepare you and to be empowerment so that you can walk obedi- in obedience from those moments. Does that make sense? Look, into, look at this reflection that I read uh, in a commentary this week. It says this, It is not unusual that upon the back of the sweetest refreshments and manifestations of Christ, the people of God are met with a stormy and sharp exercise. Our sweetest times of communion are often meant to prepare, to prepare us for trials to come. So I just want to say, when you go home, don't be surprised that if you met God in a profound way this weekend, if he spoke to you very specifically, that oftentimes after spiritual rest, there's going to be a spiritual test to come. All right, let's continue on and let's jump into the story. Look at verse 22, and the verses will be on the screen today. So it says this, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went on a mountainside to pray. He was there alone. And then the boat was a considerable distance from the land and it was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So, all right, let's jump into the scene really quick. All the details in the story matters. This isn't just a story that happened, but it's also meant to be a parable and kind of a picture of our lives. And if you kind of put all the accounts of this story together, 
together, there's some really key details that really kind of like, I would say resonate with how we feel in life sometimes. It, John's account says that uh, it was dark when this was happening. Uh, he talks about how the seas were rough. He talks about how the disciples were straining at the oars, which means they were like trying to row and they couldn't like move anywhere. And maybe that describes you in the room, like your life feels dark, it feels rough, and it feels like you're straining at the oars, which means you're trying to take steps forward, but you just can't get any traction. And maybe that experience is, is what you are experiencing in your life right now. But when I read this story, here was what was absolutely remarkable. Let me ask you a question. Why did the disciples go into a storm. Look at the passage. Because Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. I don't, I don't want to move past this, but think about this. Jesus asked the disciples to do something. He sent them. They obeyed him. And a storm is what resulted. Because they obeyed Jesus, life got hard. Here's the point I want to make. Obedience to Jesus' calling and commands might produce more suffering in your life, not less. Obedience to Jesus' calling and commands, whatever he's asking you to do, might produce more suffering in your life, not less. I was praying with somebody last night, and uh, I actually prayed with them at 710 a month ago, and it absolutely struck me. Um, They were praying for the power to do something that God was asking them to do, and this person came up to me and prayed with me last night, and they were saying, hey, Corey, I did that thing, and the relationship broke apart. I obeyed Jesus, and my life got harder. Here's the thing that I want you guys to know. Guys, you have to understand this. We live in a culture and in a society that demands and expects comfort. And sometimes we don't even realize it because it's the water we're swimming in, but we have this belief that when we obey Jesus— we should experience circumstantial comfort. Not comfort of the heart, but comfort of circumstances. And here's what's interesting. When you actually spend time in the scriptures and you marinate in the scriptures, and this is why it's important to renew your mind in the the world of the Bible, what's interesting is when you read the Bible, the Bible doesn't actually say, hey, when you obey Jesus, you'll get an exemption from suffering. It's when you obey Jesus, you should actually have an expectation for it. Oftentimes, when we, uh, when we follow Jesus, when we step in obedience to him, we think, man, we should have an exemption from life being hard because, Lord, after all, I obeyed you. And the scripture world goes, no, actually, when you obey Jesus, expect to know him in a deep way, but expect suffering to come. I remember the other day I was, uh, I was praying, and uh, the Lord oftentimes, when you're, you're, you're teaching, will start to teach you things before you teach others. And uh, there was something, and I'm going to be vague here on purpose, but there's something that I was really deeply wrestling with in my life. And I, I was spending some time in the evening praying about it. And I remember, I try to pray out loud, uh, because one, I just get distracted all the time, but it just helps me like, articulate what I'm actually trying to say to God, rather than just having it all jumbled up in my head. And I remember, uh, there was an area of my life that I really feel like I was walking in integrity in, I was obeying the Lord in, I was doing the thing that he called me to do, and it felt like it was backfiring on me. And I remember, I literally said this out of my mouth, and maybe you've experienced this too. I remember going, Lord... I obeyed you, and this is what I get? And he goes, yeah. Because when you obey me, expect things to get harder. It doesn't give you an exemption, but it gives you an expectation, but I'll be with you in it. 
uh, one of the things that I think it's, is so helpful is, um, is to pay attention to your emotions when you're experiencing suffering or storms. Uh, and one of the things that uh, I've tried to do, I've been trying to journal for the last three months-ish, uh, and I, I've been trying to kind of keep track of like the situation I'm in, what God's calling me to do, and like kind of what's like getting like revealed in me in it. And I remember in that night when I was praying, like, Lord, I obeyed you, and this is what I get. I was praying that out of anger. And I think that's okay. Like, I'm just being honest with God, not what I want to be in me, but what actually is in me. And I was bringing that into the Lord. And I remember the Lord kind of saying, do you know what your anger is revealing about you right now? Is that it's revealing that when you obey me, you're expecting life to get easier. And, uh, and he says, but look at the scriptures. Because I, I want to show you this for a second. Abraham wouldn't have had to leave the security of his own, own home if he didn't say yes to God's call. Joseph wouldn't have suffered in prison if he didn't say yes to self-control and faithfulness. Moses wouldn't have experienced the rejection of the people of Israel and the grumbling of the people of Israel and the challenging, of, the challenging part of leading in that environment if he didn't say yes to God's call at the burning bush. Daniel wouldn't have experienced the lion's den if he didn't say yes to God over the idols of his culture. And Jesus would not have had to cry out, God, why have you forsaken me if he didn't say yes to God's will at the cross? And I think when God was just, uh, 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 like just having me marinate in this and, and wrestle with this, this is, what, this is what he revealed to me. He said, Corey, I didn't promise you an easy life. I promised you eternal life. Corey, I didn't promise you an easy life. I promised you eternal life. Uh, and eternal life in the scriptures uh, is not just a place that we go to, but it's a reality. And John even talks about how eternal life is knowing God. Eternal life is knowing God and knowing his son. What I love about these stories, about all the, these like great men and women of scripture, guys, think about this for a second. We want to know God in the ways that they knew God. Do we not? But the way they knew God came because they obeyed and they suffered for it. So we go, we go, Lord, I want to know you like them, but I don't want to take the risky step of obedience that will cause me to suffer like them. So I want their faith, but I don't want their story. And God was just really inviting me into that. And I think there's even a, a deeper layer of something that like, has been really challenging to me and actually encouraging to me if I could just like, shift my mindset and like, have actually a mind that's renewed by the scriptures. Uh, and it, and it was, I was thinking about this. Okay, so I, I like to play basketball. I played basketball in high school. And uh, <clears throat> I remember um, there would be this reality where you're, you're playing against uh, uh, the opponent and typically there's like a player on the other team that was like dominating everybody. And so like every team, it seemed like they had one player and they're just kind of like, if you just have one-on-one -on -one defense, like your team just can't really handle it. So you'll, at a certain point in the game, the coach call a timeout and says, listen, we need to double team that player. We need to put more pressure on that, on that player because they're being effective on the court. So like, for example, like if Kendrick and I were on the same basketball team, oftentimes people would stop guarding Kendrick and start guarding me because I'm such a better basketball player than Kendrick. <laughs> So it's like, he's just like, there's no threat there. <laughs> so, so sway. <laughs> <I just, laughs> no, yeah, right. <laughs> but here's, here's one of the things that I realized. So every now and then, like, listen, I wasn't the best player, but every now and then there would come a point where I was the person that was being double guarded. The, the pressure would come. They would start like, the, like, you know, like you had one hot game and the whole like kind of the attention is on you. The pressure's on you. It just coming at you. And I remember when you were being like double teamed, it, you didn't view it as a problem. You viewed it as a privilege. 
And I think sometimes when we obey Jesus and we're like, we're living out our call, when God is calling us to wonderful things and we are, we're living out God's call, his kingdom call in our life, the enemy sees us and starts to swarm us, starts to, to pressure us, starts, have you ever noticed when you try to step in obedience to Jesus, your life gets harder? Do you think that's an accident? And here's what's, here's what's amazing to me. When that happens to me, when I'm stepping in obedience and life gets harder, I'm like, man, there is like spiritual warfare going on. Here's what comes out of me. I start to complain. I start to get angry. But when I read the scriptures and you, you, Paul's getting stoned, he's stepping out in obedience. His life is so hard. And he goes, this isn't a problem. This is a privilege. I get to suffer with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I get to, to suffer with him in his death and I get to be raised to new life. And guys, I just want to tell you, if you are following Jesus, if you are obeying him, if you are going to take that next step of obedience and your life starts to swarm, pressure starts to come, things start to unravel, it's not a problem, it's a privilege. God bless you. There's the second thing that I realized. Uh, either you, uh, you, you, you experience a lot of anger, or oftentimes we experience a lot of despair when we're suffering uh, for obeying Jesus. So think about the disciples. They're on the, they're on the middle of the, um, the lake. Uh, the storms are there. They're, they're probably like, worried about their lives. These are professional fishermen. Uh, and I bet they had this thought of, like, where is God? Have you ever noticed like, when you're suffering, you feel despair? It's typically anger or despair. We just start going like, God is either abandoning me or God is punishing me. And we start to wrestle with that. Uh, here's, what's, here's what's so interesting. God did not abandon the disciples on the lake. Where was Jesus when the disciples were struggling in the storm? There's a clue. It says that he was up on a mountain praying. Listen to this reflection that kind of unpacks the significance of this. It says this. There was a question that must have afflicted the disciples as they were tossed in this great danger. Where was Jesus? But had he abandoned them? Where was Jesus? The answer is that Jesus was up on the mountain watching his disciples. I don't think Jesus was up on a mountain just praying. I think he was looking at his disciples, watching over them and praying. They were under his caring eye the whole time as he measured out the trials that would strengthen their faith. Jesus was praying high above the world's raging power, high in a place of authority and communion with the heavenly father. Jesus was watching and praying for them. And then it gets better. Look, it says this, the same is true in the storms of your trials. But where is Jesus during your trials? He is high above the heavens at the right hand of God, the father enthroned with authority and power. And he is looking upon you. He is lifting up his nail scarred hands that suffered for you and praying for you. Though the circumstances suggest that you might be truly lost, there is no real danger to your ultimate well-being. Guys, can I just encourage you? If you are struggling, I want you to know that Jesus is watching over you, praying for you, even when you can't see him and even when you cannot feel him. Let's keep going in the story. Look at verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And here's what we learned, that Jesus often comes to us in our storms in unexpected ways and at unexpected times. I want to say that again. In your storms, Jesus will often come to you 
in an an unexpected way at an unexpected time. Notice, Jesus came to the disciples in an unexpected way. He came to them walking on the sea. Paige, if you can go to that next slide. He came to them walking on the sea in a way they didn't expect, and he came to them at an unexpected time in the fourth watch of the night. It's interesting that Jesus is walking up to the disciples. The disciples who are professional fishermen are so caught off guard that they didn't even recognize him when Jesus showed up to them. They actually thought he was a ghost. What was so fascinating to this about me is what Jesus was actually coming to deliver his disciples and his disciples interpreted it as somebody coming to destroy them. I just want to encourage you, in whatever situation you are walking through, in whatever storm it is, Jesus may show up in your situation in a way that you do not expect. He may show up in your situation in a way that you did not expect, in a way that you did not see. And then sometimes we go, okay, I'm going to expect the unexpected way that God is going to work in this circumstance, but it just doesn't work like that. Uh, It's so often, oftentimes when, uh, have you ever noticed when like things are crumbling in your life? whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job, whether it's a, it's, a, it's a relational kind of like friendship dynamic. Have you ever noticed it feels like this circumstance is coming to destroy you? But can I actually ask maybe to consider that behind that circumstance is actually Christ coming to you? Not to destroy you, but to deliver you in a deeper way. So I just want to say this, just because you do not recognize Jesus in your situation yet does not mean he's not there. You just may not see him yet. Jesus also comes to his disciples at an unexpected time. And it's interesting that the passage says he came in the fourth watch of the night. And if you were just reading this passage, it would be very easy to just go, yeah, that's what time Jesus came. But here's, what the, here's the point. Jesus is on the mountain. His disciples are in a storm. Jesus is praying over his disciples while they are in a storm. Jesus sent the disciples into the boat onto the lake, probably around evening time, which means that he let the disciples row in the storm for 10 hours before he personally showed up. And maybe you, you experienced that. You're like, I feel like I've been rowing for 10 hours. One of the other gospel accounts said that the disciples only went three or four miles. So you go like, literally I'm rowing. I'm trying to get through the situation. It feels like it's taking forever. Jesus, where are you? You guys resonate with that at all? Yes. Yes. But what I love about this is that Jesus rescued his disciples at the darkest part of the night when they were having trouble at the deepest part of the lake. He delays, he even lets them struggle, he lets them develop, and then he shows up 10 hours later. Uh, So I just showed a picture of my daughter. And uh, one of the things that you need to know about Crystal and I is that she is a way better natural parent than me. Uh, I, uh, she's just like, the, the, the words that she has Kinsley saying at this age, the things that I was like, I wouldn't even think of doing something like that. But one of the things that is so, uh, that Crystal is so much better at with Kinsley than me is um, Crystal's always thinking long-term with Kinsley. And sometimes I just get like stuck in the present. And so I remember like, so, you know, Kinsley's like developing, she's in a developmental stage. And, uh, and oftentimes like Kinsley will be like struggling with something. She's like trying to open a bottle or she's trying to like play with a toy. She can't figure it out. And she starts throwing temper tantrums. And I hate seeing my daughter struggle. So I literally will, every single time she even starts to struggle because I don't like to see her struggle, I'll jump in and I'll just fix the situation for her right away. 
and I'll jump in and I'll fix the situation for her right away. I'm like, oh, and I'll fix it and I'll fix it and I'll fix it. And literally Crystal has actually like, she's like grabbed my arm and she's like, she's like, hey, you need the, you need the pause for a second. She goes, every single time you jump in, you're keeping her from developing. She goes, when you, when you jump in and you just try to fix the situation, she goes, you're, st- you're stunting her growth. And I just want to ask you to consider one thing. You may be struggling through a season that it's taking forever. It feels like God to show up. And if he just showed up right away in the way that you wanted him, it would stunt the development of your faith. That there's a, there's a struggle, there's a, even a, maybe a lost sense of a felt presence of God, of where God's like, will you obey me when you're not feeling it? Will you walk in faith? Whatever it is, we go like, God, come right now, come right now. And God goes, hey, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for strength. I'm going to empower you. I want you to keep rowing. And here's the thing. Eventually, if my daughter cannot figure it out, I will always jump in. Here's the thing. Often it's the moment when we are most tempted to give up that help is just one step away. Peter is, he's, he's sinking, and when he's most tempted to give up, help is just one step away, and the same is true for you. Let's keep going in the story. So Peter goes, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, I love this, when he looked to the wind and took his eyes off Jesus, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, when I uh, read this story and when you often hear it talked about, I kind of feel bad for Peter. You know, it's like, this is the story where Peter failed again. You know, like he, 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 was, he was supposed to walk on the water. And it's like, man, like, and even Jesus here, like lovingly, like rebukes his faith. It's like, why did you doubt? But this, this story kind of heightens the failure of, of Peter in a way. Uh, but I actually like have a lot of respect for Peter in this situation. Did you ever notice that Peter is the only one of the disciples that actually asked to do the impossible with Jesus? All the other disciples stayed in the boat and Peter is the only one that in faith asked to do the impossible with Jesus, which this isn't the point. Jesus, I think, is really pleased when we ask to do the impossible with him. In your situation, there might be things that seem impossible and there's something that is deeply pleasing when you go, Jesus, I can't do this, but I want to do it with you. Can I do it? And Jesus goes, yes, step out, on, step out onto the water and walk to me. So not only does Peter ask to do the impossible with Jesus, but Jesus asked Peter to do the impossible with him. Listen, it is not possible for a human to walk on water. And Jesus says, hey, come walk to me on the water. I want to tell you this, there are things in your life that you are not able to do, that Jesus will ask you to do with him, and he wants you to step out in faith. N.T. Wright talks about this, he says this, there are many times when Jesus asks us to do, the, to ask us to do what seems impossible, and how can we even begin to do the task that he's called us to do? How many of you felt like that? Like, how can I even begin to start doing the thing that God is t- calling me to do in my life? He says, of course, if we, like Peter, look at the waves being lashed by the wind, we will conclude that it is indeed impossible. What we are called to do is so basic and obvious, but so hard to do in practice. It's to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and our ears open for his encouragement, even if it does contain some rebuke as well. And then he says this, 
in our wills and hearts must be ready to do what he says, even if it seems crazy at the time. Listen, I started off our sermon talking about this, but listen, there is a, there is a get out of the boat moment for you. There is, a, there is a next step in the storm that God is asking you to take. And I just want you to know whatever God is asking you to do, you have it in your mind. It's going to seem crazy. It's going to seem absolutely crazy. It's going to seem impossible uh, in your right. And the key here, uh, if you noticed, Peter was walking in faith and he was confident until he started looking at the size of the waves and he took his eyes off Jesus. And that's when he started to sink. When his eyes were fixed on Jesus, he could do it. When he looked at the waves, he started to crumble. So here's one of the things that are the key. If you are trying to step in faith out into the next step in the storm that God is asking you to take, you have to find ways to keep your eyes on Jesus. I think sometimes in Christian community, uh, we can sit down with friends and we talk about how complicated our situation, all the reasons why we can't do it, my sin, their sin, like that, I just, like my gift set, like I just can't do it. And we just start reinforcing how big the waves are to each other. And the role of the Christian community when we are trying to obey Jesus is to say, hey, get your eyes off the waves and look to Jesus. If you look at the waves, you're going to start to sink. If you look to Jesus, you're actually going to be able to step out into obedience. Um, in Mark's version of this story, I think there's a, an incredible way that Jesus shows how to keep our eyes fixed on him. Uh, Mark actually uh, talks about how the disciples were hard-hearted in this situation and that Jesus expected the disciples to know that he could come and rescue them on the water. And it says that the disciples' hearts were still hard because they didn't understand the, the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So they, they, they couldn't see right in the present circumstance because they didn't understand what God had just did for them in the past or they just forgot it. So here's what's the thing. Now, this is a little bit of a stretch, but I don't think it's too far of a stretch and I think it makes a powerful point. Jesus had 12 basketfuls of leftovers from his past miracle. Where do you think those leftovers were? I think some probably went home with some people that needed it. But I bet there was evidence of Jesus' past work, past miracle in the disciples' lives in the middle of the boat that they were on the storm on. And here's the point I want to make. Jesus expected the disciples to look at his past work in their lives to, to see how Jesus would show up in their present circumstance. The leftovers of Jesus' miraculous power was still in the boat of their life. And because they weren't looking at it and because they weren't learning from it, they looked at the ways and they, and they didn't look to Jesus. Here's what I want to say. Some of you right now in your life, in the boat of your life, have leftovers of what God has done in your life, in, your, in the boat of your life. You have leftovers in your life. And God wants you to learn from your leftovers, but you can't live on them. You look to them and you're like, that was God. that's what God has done. And that means that's how God is going to show up for me in this circumstance. I don't know how, but I know God has done it. I see it in my leftovers and he's going to do it again. Amen. So that's how we keep our eyes on Jesus. And then the story comes to a close. Look at verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Now I think it's fascinating that uh, Matthew noted that uh, the disciples worshiped Jesus for walking on water. 
And it's like, so he just walks on water and it's like, we're supposed to worship him now? Like, like what's going on in the story? And this is where you actually start to get, like there is a deeper reality. There is a, a deeper revelation of who Jesus is in this story. And if you were, you can only understand this if you were a Jew. Because in the Old Testament, all these Jews, these 12 disciples, they would have been raised in the first three quarters book of your Bible and they would have learned these stories. And in the Old Testament, only God has authority over the sea and tramples on its waves. Only God in the Old Testament is the one who has authority over the sea and tramples on its ways. Look at some of these verses. Psalm 93 uh, personifies evil as the sea. It says this, the seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. Evil has lifted up. Evil has lifted up its voice. Uh, The sea has lifted up the pounding waves, but mightier than the violent raging of the seas, mightier than the breakers on the shore, the Lord above is mightier than these. So this is why they use the sea. The sea in Jewish thought represents chaos, evil, and untamable forces. So in your life, you have chaos that comes from darkness, you have evil that comes from sin, and you have things that are untamable and unbearable in your life. And for a Jew, the sea represented all those things. And I think when Matthew was writing this story, he had Job 9, 8 in his mind. Look what it says. It says, says, he alone, that is God, stretches out the heavens and what? Treads on the waves of the sea. So here's the point of this story. Jesus isn't just doing some magic trick walking on the water. Jesus is physically acting out what is true spiritually in this scene. Jesus physically, acting, Jesus physically walking on water is Jesus showing us that spiritually he tramples on the chaos in your life, the evil in your life, the storm in your life. Jesus has authority over it. He is mightier than it. And he has, he has power and authority over what is untamable in your life. Amen? Here's the point I want, I want you guys to get. You can obey Jesus even if it creates a storm in your life because he has authority over that storm. He, he, he will trample on the waves of the storm of this world. And I'm telling you, he will trample on the waves of your storm eventually. And so here's, there's, here's two things that I want, I want to give to you as we wrap up the story. Jesus will trample on the waves of your storm eventually. Brian talked about this. We are living in the wilderness. God is with, with us in the wilderness. He provides manna for us in the wilderness. But there will come a day when your storm, Jesus will literally trample on the ways of your storm and he will redeem your situation. He will redeem this world. Friends, brothers and sisters, your storm has an expiration date in Jesus. The last thing that I want to say is that Jesus can get you to where he sent you. In John's account of this story, it says that Jesus got in the boat and immediately he reached the other side of the lake. Listen, God... God has called you to things. He has sent you places. God has the power to get you to the place that he has sent you. Um, and so when, when, uh, what, what I love about this is, uh, is Jesus didn't rescue the disciples from the water. Jesus just got into the boat and enabled them to keep rowing. They were stuck. They were rowing. They couldn't go anywhere. But when Jesus got in the boat, he didn't rescue them from the sea. He may not rescue you from the storm, but he did enable them to keep rowing and keep moving forward. So here's the thing. As we wrap up this retreat, as we just kind of step forward into what God has for us, there is one thing that I just want to say to you as we wrap up this story is I want you to keep rowing. I was sitting with somebody last night and they were saying, I just feel like God is saying to me, just keep persevering. 
And sometimes that's all you can do. You're not going to know the answers to your situation. You're not going to know how obedience is going to play out in your life. But here's what you can do. You can keep listening. Did you notice in the story that the disciples didn't experience peace until Jesus started to speak? So we keep listening to God's word and it will have a calming effect on our hearts. We keep listening to God's word and we keep obeying and we keep trusting. Here's what I want to say to you. You must keep rowing in faith, but the power to reach the other side of the lake is God's. There's two responsibility here. God is responsible from getting you here into the kingdom of God, but you have to keep rowing. So we keep rowing in obedience to his commands. We keep rowing in community and we keep fixing our eyes on Jesus. So with that being said, I, I wanna read a blessing over you. So if you guys would stand before we close out and sing. A.W. Pink said this, and I just want this to sit in our hearts as we end this retreat and as we enter into this last time of worship. So if you just receive this and put your hands out if you're comfortable. Dear Saint, whatever may be the path appointed by the Lord, however difficult and distasteful, continue therein. And in his own good time, the Lord will deliver you. God, I pray for this community of young adults. God, I pray that you'd keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. God, I pray that you empower us to keep rowing and following you. And God, we trust that you will bring us home. So we praise you at the end of this retreat. God, I pray that these last two songs will just bring glory to your name. Jesus, you have all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. And so God, we praise you. You will trample our storms. You will redeem this world. And we rest in that today. Lord, we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen.